everyone, and welcome back to a special episode of The Extras. Welcome, I'm Mike. I'm Sam. And it's great to be back. Sam, you've had a bit of a holiday, mate. Refreshed, you're looking great. Oh, thank you, mate. Yeah, look, I, <laughs> mind you, I, the one thing I t- intended on doing was getting a haircut, and I did not pull that off, so I'm going to have to try and, you know... Anyway, no, no one can see that here, so apart, that's kind of Apart lucky. from your hair, you're looking terrific, <laughs> mate, let me just say. <laughs> thank you, I appreciate that. I had a good time away, uh, just good to spend some time with my family and uh, the, the, the precious people in my life, so that was, that was really good. But back and ready to go and looking so, forward to a new term yeah so this is the extras but this is this is uh this is a different beast sam yeah it's what almost like the, the entrees the the i don't know we have got to rename this dude. yeah the, the pre-extras the the, the uh, i don't know i, don't know. <laughs> I got nothing there <laughs> we're not going to attack questions today no questions um Although I've got some questions for you, Sam, because okay. um, we're, we're diving into the wonderful book of Romans in Term 3. Is that right? We are, yeah. We're going to spend um, eight sermons across Term 3, uh, looking at the book of Romans together, um, and we're going to tackle Romans chapters 1 to 4 over eight sermons. Is the plan? Now, I mean, is there any part of Scripture more significant, more important, more life-changing? I mean, all Scripture is God-breathed, useful thing. Yep. But, yep. I mean, Romans is up there, mate. I mean, you, you, you're, you're, you're tackling the big beast, aren't you, mate? Yeah, I know. I feel a little scared about it, to be honest. And you um, should be. <laughs> but, but also thrilled at the same time. I mean, it is. And you should be. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a precious... Like you said, a precious part of the Bible. It is, as many theologians and commentators and preachers have said over the years, it is sort of the the Everest of the New Testament. Um, yeah, and it's it just full of. I mean, it's, it's a big book. Just sort of. Yep. Um, it's got a lot of chapters. It's long. It's dense. Um, but it's just got such wonderful, wonderful truths about um, the gospel in it. And uh, yes, it's some really precious things to explore together and so I feel the the weight of, of tackling that and um, would appreciate prayers as, as we go but I'm excited too and uh, yeah yeah I think it'll be I think it'll be challenging and hard but I think it'll be brilliant and um, I'm really excited about it and so the size the magnitude of, of Romans is kind of why we're doing the extras today isn't it is because we want to help you guys to get into Romans even now before we start preaching on it. That's it. That's it. We want to give a little bit of background and, and sort of the, the plan at this stage is to give you potentially three little sneak peeks at the book of Romans just from a, a big picture point of view, not to do any I mean, in the sermons and in your growth groups and in hopefully in your one-to-one Bible reading and in your own reading of the text. Um, you can be wrestling with the, the nitty-gritty details and yep. we will in other episodes of the extras come back and tackle questions that come out of a, yep. a week of studying it together. And there'll be a few, I'm guessing. No doubt, no <laughs> doubt. Um, but we, we want to think big picture about what is this book, what's it all about, who wrote it, where did it come from, why was it written, where was it written, when was it written, just sort of give ourselves a bit of a framework to begin our studies um, just so we don't just dive straight in and think about, yep. you know, chapter one, verse one, which we're going to do in a couple of weeks' time, but we, we, we're just looking kind of canvassing the whole before we dive into the specifics. So thinking very big picture and even thinking historically, Sam, I mean, Romans, you know, is up there in terms of its impact on the church, mm. impact on believers, on, on um, some of the great theologians. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Romans is kind of up there, isn't it? Tell us about the impact that it's had. Oh, it's huge. I mean, most of the significant theological people throughout history have in some way or another one way or another, had their lives turned upside down by the Book of Romans. And, uh, I mean, as far back as Augustine um, in the 4th century, he was a, a kind of pillar of the... Still is a kind of 
epic theological heavyweight from the 4th century. Um, for him, uh, it was Romans chapter 13 from memory that, that brought him to Christ and he, where he grasped that he'd been clothed with Christ, that, that Christ was his righteousness and uh, he was converted and, uh, you know, wrote some of the, the still the greatest works of, of sort of New Testament scholarship that we've, we've, we've still got. Um, right. In particular, however, Romans played a pretty massive role in what we call the Protestant Reformation, um, which began in the 1500s, um, happened sort of concurrently in different cities around Europe uh, at the time, and it was really in response to uh, many perceived abuses uh, that were happening in the church, in, in the Roman Catholic Church of the day. Um, and, and one of the things that had happened was that the Bible had fallen out of kind of common language translation. It had been, it, it had moved, it, it was written in, in Greek originally. Um, in the, as the Roman Empire grew, it had been translated into Latin, which was the sort of lingua franca of the, uh, of the ancient world. But then somewhere along the way, someone started to think that Latin was some kind of divine language. And even though the Roman Empire was long gone and Latin had sort of passed out of common usage, the Bible was still only in Latin. Um, and, and nobody could read it and understand it for themselves. And um, and there was a there was a, a movement. You know, Erasmus was a key player in that um, in in the 1500s, translating uh, the the New Testament um, from the original Greek Greek language into kind of um, current day languages, uh, European languages at the time, so that people could have access to read it and understand it. One of the players in that was Martin Luther, um, and who, through his own translating and then studying of the Book of Romans, um, came to put his own faith in Jesus. Even though he was a, he was a scholar in the church, he, he actually yes. hadn't been converted by the gospel. And for him, it was Romans 1, 16 and 17 that... Uh, that really changed his life. Romans 1, 16, it's where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, um, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Um, and in initially, Luther hated the idea of the righteousness of God because he felt like he couldn't, couldn't cut make. it. He, he kept trying to be good enough for God to be righteous and he just kept seeing sin in his life everywhere. And so he hated this little phrase, the righteousness of yes. God, because he just didn't have it and he couldn't yes. find it in himself. Yeah. And then it was like God switched the light on as he as he meditated on chapters, uh, chapter 1, 16 and 17, where he realized in the context that the righteousness is, is, is from God and it's apart from the law and it is by faith from first to last. And it is a gift that God gives and, and, and a, a, a kind of a righteousness that God gives to us that is not our own, but he kind of imputes to our account. He gives it as a gift. And for Luther, that just changed everything. And he realized that salvation was by grace, through faith, rather than by works. And he started to go on, on the front foot and say to the institution of the church in that day, you guys, you've missed it. You're, you're telling people that they can be saved by what they do, whereas the scriptures tell us that we're saved by what Jesus has done for us. And that... Um, sort of set Luther on a pathway to, to preach the gospel to the to the European world and just so happened the printing press kind of arrived around that time and that we're able to take advantage of new technology to get the word out there and uh, it just spread like a, a wildfire across Europe and the gospel was rediscovered and, and much of the church as we know it today finds its the Protestant church um, finds its its roots in in those events um, where a new movement was set up in protest 
and that's where Protestant comes from, yeah. uh, of the abuses of the Roman Catholic Church, which were uh, presenting faith as, uh, uh, sorry, as salvation as something that you achieve by your works rather than salvation being a gift of God through faith alone. So you're saying that the understanding of the book of Romans really helps to uh, shape, change, reform the whole church so that the church that we know today um, really owes its uh, its origins to a, a yeah. wonderful understanding of this wonderful part of scripture. That's exactly right. And uh, yeah, you, you can tell story after story um, of the book of Romans uh, changing lives, yes. both big, big names like Martin Luther, but also I, I assume... Lots of little names that nobody ever heard of, um, but individual by individual, God has used this letter to, um, yeah, I guess establish people in the true faith uh, and the true gospel of Jesus Christ that saves by faith alone. And uh, so that's, you know, it's going to be a great time together. We we want to, um, yeah, appreciate and give thanks to God that this is this is a letter that's part of the Bible, and mm. we want to uh, sort of suck the marrow out of it as much as we can. And, uh, and realize the significance of, the, of this letter that we're dealing with this term. Awesome, mate. Well, mate, let me, let me give you some questions so that mm. you can help us as we... Uh, I'll do my best. As we, as we want to read uh, Romans in preparation to hear it preached and yeah. proclaimed and yep. studied. Um, so, always helpful with Scripture to understand a little bit of the background of, of, of... Because these are actual real letters written by real people to other real people. That's it. Um, circumstances. Um, and so, we want to understand that, mate. So, um, tell us, uh, who is the author who wrote Romans? Yeah, nice. Um, that, that's an easy one that I can, I can do for you. Um, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Um, the, the common um, pattern in ancient letters, we, we in, our, in our modern letters or modern emails, we, we put the, um, the author, the sender at the very bottom, you know, regards Sam, and then you, you send it off. Um, in, in the ancient convention, you, you'd start straight up front, right at the beginning of the letter, and that's the case in Romans, where chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Um, so it's Paul who's, who's writing... Um, and uh, he identifies himself as a, as a servant of Christ Jesus, set apart for the gospel. That, that's something that um, happened when Jesus himself um, sort of showed up. Paul, Paul was not always a Christian. In fact, he was a persecutor of the church. He hated Christians and he mm. prided himself on, on killing them and putting them in prison. And he was sort of like a, a first century terrorist uh, against Christian people. And um, he was on his way to a place called Damascus with kind of legal writs to, to put a bunch of Christians in jail. But on the road there, on the way, he had a vision. Jesus appeared in a blinding light, literally blinded him. And, and uh, you can read about this in Acts chapter 9. And uh, one of the things that Jesus appears to him says, Stop persecuting me. Uh, and, and Paul been persecuting the Christians and therefore persecuting Jesus. Um, and then he sort of set him aside and, and, and then he sent this guy called Cornelius um, another vision. Jesus sends, sends Cornelius a vision and says, go get Paul. And Cornelius is like, no way, Paul's a terrorist, he's going to kill me. And he says, no, no, I've got a plan for him. He is my chosen instrument to send my message to the Gentiles. That's Acts 9, 15 and 16. You, you can... Um, chase that up and then a couple of times you see in Paul's ministry whenever he talks about why he is doing what he does for the gospel and for Jesus now as a Christian he goes back to that moment so you see it in Acts 22 21 he talks about how Jesus appeared and said 
I will send you to the Gentiles. And then again in Acts 26, 18, um, Paul recounts again that Jesus uh, specifically gave him the job of, if, if Peter was to go to the Jews with the other, other apostles, Paul was to go to the Gentiles, to the, to the non-Jewish world, and tell them about salvation. And, and that's the kind of the, the title that Paul kind of picks up on here. He says, I, I am an apostle, one who's been sent by Jesus, um, set apart by Jesus for the gospel of God. So um, Paul's the author. Interestingly, just a little tidbit, in Acts 16, uh, sorry, Acts 16, Romans 16, mm-hmm. um, we actually discovered that, there, that while Paul is the author, in 1622... Uh, there's a little interesting verse, Romans 16:22. It says, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Hmm. And so there's this idea of the what's called the amanuensis. It's kind of like the ancient secretary. Uh, <laughs> we all want one of those. Someone We just have to speak and they write it down and make it happen for us. Paul, it seems, is the author and Tertius is basically his scribe. Um, to write a letter of this length in, in the ancient world, you can't just type it out on your word processor and, you know, email it off. It takes a, a degree of skill and uh, you, you don't want to make any mistakes because parchment's expensive, ink is expensive, uh, and doing this bigger letter is a very expensive undertaking. So you'd actually bring on professional help to make sure that you didn't get halfway through and have to cross stuff out, you know. You, you want Liquid to get paper. It, it, none of that exists. Right. And so... Um, Tertius, 1622, is kind of Paul's secretary, amanuensis. Uh, he doesn't have any influence in the copy itself. He just, Paul dictates, yep. Tertius writes it out. And that's sort of um, how it is. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So we know who wrote Romans. Yes. But who did Paul write it to? Who are the, who are the recipients? Yeah. Uh, so again, um, you can catch it in the book's title, um, Romans, and that's the case for many of Paul's letters. The the name of the book is uh, an identifier of who the book was written to. So Ephesians is written to the church in Ephesus. Um, Galatians is written to the church in Galatia. Yep. Romans written to the church in Rome. And again, you get that straight out of the text. Um, in uh, chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. So it sounds like there's a church there. Um and uh, the church, it sounds like it's a bit of a, a mix in terms of its makeup of um, some Jews and some Gentiles. And so down to chapter 1, verse 14, um, Paul says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He's, he, he starts with Gentiles, Greeks, but also the non-Greeks, the, the Jews. He, he's obligated to both. And then uh, he goes on to say, 116, those, those verses that were so key for Martin Luther, I'm yeah. not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So it seems that in amongst Rome, it's a, it's a mixed, multi-ethnic church. You've got people of Jewish descent um, and you've got people of Gentile background. They're, they're non-Jews. Uh, that's really the big kind of dis- distinguisher in the ancient world. Yeah. Um, and uh, the church is trying to work out how those two people group, people groups work together in Christ, and Paul is writing to that church. Um, most likely, it's um, more than one church. Um, 
in the, in chapter 16, you can go and read chapter 16, um, he, he writes, and it appears that there's churches meeting in more than one house. So it, it could be a kind of multi-site church, you know. They're, they're one church in Rome, but there are lots of little gatherings that happen. Rome's a pretty big city, um, and so there are little sites where they meet one of them is explicitly mentioned as meeting in in a couple called priscilla and aquila's house but it just feels as you and go and read chapter 16 it feels like there are churches meeting in other houses as well um, just given the way paul greets them okay yeah all right so we know who wrote romans we know to whom he wrote yes um but how did christianity actually get to rome how did a church start in Rome, like was that Paul or was that someone else? And, and kind of, what's that going to do with Romans? Yeah, I mean, often when you read letters in the New Testament, um, they are—it's Paul or someone else writing to a church that that they've begun. You know, um, so um, church in Corinth is a good example of that. The letters to the Corinthians—you um, read in Acts that Paul passes through Corinth, he sets up a church there. Um, and then he moves on, as was his pattern, to keep on planting churches in other areas. Um, but then there's issues in the church, and so he has to write him a letter and say, hey guys, don't forget what I told you back at the start. Remember mm. Jesus, remember the gospel, sort your lives out. Here's, some, here's a letter <laughs> to help you do that. And uh, that's a sort of follow-up letter to a church that he's previously established. Right. Romans is not that. Right. Um, because um, he's never, in fact, he's never been to, to Rome. You see it at the start there. Um, he says in uh, chapter 14, he says, I'm so eager, chapter 1 verse 14, I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Um, so, sorry, that's 15, isn't it? One fifteen. Yes. Um, he's not been there before, but he really, really wants to go there, um, partly because he, he knows it's such a big, influential city in the ancient world. But Paul had, at the time of writing, not yet visited them. Um, so it's not him following up on a, on a previous kind of mission work um how did the gospel get there Hmm. um that's a good question um we're not explicitly told in the new testament it's not like one of the apostles went off and went hey paul i set up rome for you yep you're welcome (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, didn't didn't go down like that um there's but we can sort of surmise a little bit um from some of the evidence in in the new testament um the first thing to note acts chapter 2 pentecost yep um there are people from every nation coming in to um, uh, celebrate the Jewish Passover. And we read in, in Acts chapter 2 that some of the crowd there are Romans. Um, okay. And that's a pretty remarkable day. Um, Peter preaches that cracking first sermon. The Holy Spirit comes down with tongues of fire. and It's all pretty exciting. And then you read at the very end of Acts chapter 2, I think it's in about verse 40, uh, that that 3,000 are yeah. saved. Verse 41. Verse yep. 40? 40, 41? 41, yep. Do you want to read you there? Oh, you, you might want to read in that one because I've got an old one. Okay, give us, give us KJV. You've got it there. Yes, it says, uh, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Wow, there you go. That's, that's the King James Version there. Yeah, 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 got, 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 got it old school. Um, yeah, 3,000 souls, 3,000 people um, were baptized that day. There's a good chance some of them were, were Romans. Okay. So it could have been as early as Acts uh, chapter 2, and then they've gone home at the end of Passover and set up shop, set up right. church back in Rome. That's a possibility. Yep. Um, whatever the way, somewhere between Acts 2 and Acts 18... 
the the gospel has made it to Rome and a church has been established. Because in Acts chapter 18, it's a neat little detail that often you skip through because you're not really focusing on these little details. Um, you read in Acts 18, it says, After this, uh, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy uh, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Mm. So you get this little note that, and this is a, sort of around AD 52, we think, okay. um, that, that the Emperor Claudius, there's a bunch of, there's a Jewish community living in Rome, yep. um, and Claudius, kind of in true Roman Emperor, emperor style, just gets jack of a certain kind of cultural group and banishes them from the city and he kicks out and you can it's historically attested he kicks out all the Jewish people out of Rome I mean imagine doing that in a city like Sydney just saying right <coughs> all the Christians you're out you, you actually go uh, he kicks out all the Jews and Aquila who's the guy that Paul is meeting here um, is one of those people who, who's now been sort of exiled to Corinth along with a whole bunch of other um, a whole bunch of other Jewish people but as you read on in Acts 18 Aquila is already in the faith. He's a Christian. He's already he, he's Jewish by background, but he's actually a Christian. And then he and Paul and and uh, Aquila's wife Priscilla go on and do some pretty cool mission work. And, and and actually, it seems that Priscilla and Aquila are not just converted; they are proper legit leaders in the church who are well established. And actually, as other people come along, they're able to more adequately instruct them in the faith because they're really sorted out Christian leaders. And so somewhere in that period, and it could well have just happened that just an ordinary Christian takes the message of Jesus back to Rome and people are saved, as we hear happens yep. even today. Yep. And then a church has begun, and, and in that, it's sprung up and flourished. And now, all this time later, Paul is writing to the church that meets there and saying, look, I'd love to come and visit you, but let me, let me write to you to encourage you in the meantime. Okay, so we've got Acts 2. Yes. And we've got Acts 18. We've yes. got Christians in Rome. Yep. But these guys get booted out of Rome. Yeah. Um, do they ever get back? And, like, does that mean the church in Rome is only Gentiles and no Jews? Or? Yeah, no, good pick up. So, like I said at the start, there are Jews and Gentiles in there. So, let me give you a bit of a timeline. We think in AD 52. Claudius um, expels all the Jews. Claudius the Empire, Emperor. Yep. yep. Um, and then, but by AD 56, Claudius dies. Right. And as his uh, kind of custom, his law is kind of revoked and the Jews are allowed to return. And then it's really interesting, in, again, Romans 15 and 16, that they're really helpful for getting these details sorted out for us. Uh, in Romans chapter 15, uh, sorry, ch chapter 16... Paul greets a whole bunch of people and he sends, um, it's kind of his custom, he says, say hello to this person, say yep. good day to Jack, say good day to Stephen, say good day to all these kind of people. Um, one of the people that he greets in chapter 16, verse 3, he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. So by the time Paul is writing this letter, they've gone back. Right. Priscilla and Aquila were Christians in Rome. Jews kicked out. Kicked out. Yeah. Now back in Rome. That's right. We think somewhere about four years later, we think the expulsion was for about four years, from 52 to 56, uh, somewhere thereabouts. And then by 56, they're back and they're living in Rome once again. The, the expulsion order is over. 
and they can return to their home. And Paul mentions them by name by the time he writes this letter. Interesting. So perhaps when the church started in Rome, there was perhaps Jews and Gentiles. That's right. But maybe for a while, when Claudius was doing his thing, it was only Gentiles. Yeah. But now it's Jew and Gentile again. Yeah. And so, okay, that's kind of helping, I think. But how does that help me understand Romans? Well, I mean, it gives a bit of a a political and a cultural background to what Paul is going to write. Paul's going to talk a lot in Romans about the gospel being for Jew and for Gentile and about understanding how both types of people, all kinds of people for that matter, are welcome in Christ. Um, And and in fact, there's no particular benefit to being a Jew um, because we're all guilty before God and we're all justified by Jesus Christ. But it's very easy to, to... to sometimes think that one people group is better than another people group. Generally, it's the one you belong to is better than the one that you don't belong to. And and can you imagine that for four years or so, the church has been humming along with just Gentiles, all the same kind of people, and then all of a sudden, all these Jewish people return. Can, can you imagine some of the, the strife that that must call? We've been getting along fine without you guys. And, <laughs> you know, the whole parish council, they're all Gentiles. And then the Jews return and go, hang on, I was on the parish council and I was a growth group leader. And hey, what are you doing? I was in charge of that. You know, I ran the women's, you know, fellowship group. And, and then all of a sudden they're like, well, who do you think you are to come back and tell me? Right. And you've got this tension between Jew and Gentile, as much as you have anywhere else in the ancient world. But you've got this sure. particular issue that has happened yep. as the church has returned. And Paul is, is writing... Interestingly, he doesn't pick on anyone in particular. It doesn't sound like there's a massive, like, this person's done the wrong thing and this person's you know needs to be corrected because he doesn't name people by name. There's no Philippians 4 going on here. No, Euodia, that's right. Euodia and Syntyche yeah, or yeah. Any of those, none of the Galatians kind of stuff where there's a particular yep. you know rebuke. But it's, it's simply to reaffirm to them... Guys, don't forget that as you sort this out, the gospel is for all people and we're all one in Christ Jesus. And you need to think that through from first principles theologically to to help in that situation. And so, I mean, the the whole Jew-Gentile question Mm. is actually behind a lot of the New Testament, isn't it, Sam? It is. And it's perhaps something that's a little bit foreign to us um, because we're majority of us are Gentiles. That's right. Um, But actually understanding that there was these two very significantly different groups at one level, Mm. particularly historically, and yet that Christ can unite uh, is something that's going to be really helpful in terms of reading all of Scripture, particularly the New Testament. Absolutely. That's exactly right. And and I think, again, it's been helpful being in Genesis the last couple of... um, Weeks as we as we've worked through that, the, the, we've got to keep remembering that those promises. There's a hint in Genesis 12 that that God is going to bless all the nations, but for so much of the Old Testament story, God begins by blessing one people um, mm. and taking Israel as His special people, and it was kind of almost assumed after thousands of years of God doing that, just looking after Israel, that that was all God was ever going to do, and and when Jesus and the gospel arrives in, in um, kind of as the New Testament dawns and um, Jesus dies on the cross and, and then salvation begins to go out to all nations. The Jews really struggled with that, even though it was promised way back in Genesis 12 that all nations were going to be blessed. Yep. They, they sort of got in this habit of thinking, no, it's just us. Yep. We're, we're it, we're the special people. And they really struggled with the idea of 
non-Jews getting to share in what they considered to be their sort of special blessing from God. And uh, much of the theology of the New Testament is trying to show, no, Christ is for all people and all people can have a relationship with God through him. And Romans is going to help us with that, isn't it? Totally. Mate, uh, let me just do a bit of a wrap-up before we kind of head to the the, 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 the home straight. Mm. So, uh, who wrote it? it it's Paul. Yeah. Uh, who did he write it to? Well, it's the church in Rome made up of Jews and Gentiles. That's right. And uh, Paul didn't actually plant this church. Um, we're not exactly sure who, but uh, we know from Acts 2 that Romans there was people from Rome there. We know Priscilla and Aquila. Yep. Um, so that's really, really helpful. Yep. And uh, that perhaps there was a time where the church was united, Jew, Gentile, then mm-hmm. just Gentile, now Jew and Gentile again. And that's how it. does that church play yep. out? Yep. Um, so my last question is, yes. um, why did Paul write Romans? Now, you've alluded to it a little bit, but um, yeah, can you give us your kind of big picture? Why did Paul write this wonderful letter? Yeah, um, there's a few different views on it. Um, and uh, I think each of them have, a, have, a, have something to offer. And I actually think it's probably a mix of a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one view that it's... Um, uh, what we were just talking about then, this situational issue of Jew and Gentile. Um, and, and I think that's, that's, there's definitely something there. Um, but I'm not sure that that completely exhausts everything as to why. I don't think that the whole letter deals with that at every point. It's, right. it's particularly there in chapters 9 to 11, which we're going to yeah. do in a, in a couple of years' time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Take us that long to get done with it. Okay. Um, but, I mean, and it's certainly throughout, throughout much of the letter, but it doesn't quite account for everything. Okay. Um, there's a second view, which is, uh, it sort of comes out of that Reformation stuff that we were talking about. Because this letter was so seminal at the time of the Reformation, some of the reformers, um, a guy by the name of Melanchthon, cool name, um, <laughs> he, um, he viewed it, and his view is still pretty common today, that it's, it's at its sort of heart, it's, it's Paul's theological magnum opus. It's sort of like his end of life, let me tell you everything there is to know about everything, um, sort of ultimate letter kind right. of thing. Okay. Now, it's a pretty ultimate letter. Yes. But I'm not sure you can quite give it that uh, kind of catch-all, it's his systematic theology of everything. Right. Um, because there's a bunch of stuff Romans doesn't talk about. Um we don't get much on what we call eschatology, which is the, the end times. There's not just not a lot of that in Romans. Yep. Um, there's not a lot in terms of even Christology and the nature of the Trinity and that kind of stuff. It's it's not really expounded on there. Um, it's not a whole lot on um, the church, um, which Paul really goes into in, in some of the other letters, like Corinthians and um, Ephesians, for example. Um, so... To call it his magnum opus when he clearly writes at extended sort of ways about other topics that aren't in Romans, I think perhaps paints too much. Okay. Um, it's an awesome, you know, justification by faith, um, doctrines of, of sin, judgment, salvation, uh, assurance, you know, it's fundamentally awesome stuff in there. But um, <laughs> It's not everything. It's, it's not, not everything. It's not a complete package. That's it. No, you can't just say, I don't, I've got Romans, I don't I've need anything else. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. you, you need the whole New Testament. Okay. Um, uh, the third piece of the puzzle, though, is, is um, that Paul actually was writing this at a time with a bit of a plan in mind. Remember, Paul's a missionary, and he, he's very keen to keep taking the gospel to, to new places. And, um, in fact, he writes this letter 
uh, at the end of, we think, his third mission journey. Um, so if you look in the back of your Bible and you look at some of the maps, you can follow them around with <laughs> Love the, those maps. The, the coloured arrows yeah, yeah. and you can see where he went. That's sort of visually laying out what happens in the book of Acts between sort of Acts 1 and Acts 20 or so. Okay. Um, those, the journeys uh, that go on there. Um, but he alludes in Acts chapter 15, sorry, in Romans chapter 15, he's, he gives us a bit of a hint as to where he's up to. And he says in, in Romans uh, 15, if you read from sort of uh, 23 to the end of chapter 15, um, he, he talks about the fact that he's about to go on this journey to Jerusalem to deliver a gift, um, which you come across a few times in the New Testament. Um, Paul's been out fundraising because there's a bit of a famine in Jerusalem. Um, and funnily enough, he's gone to Gentile churches to raise money to take back to the predominantly Jewish church in a real expression of Jew-Gentile unity. Mm, awesome. And he's carrying a bunch of cash that he wants to deliver to Jerusalem so that they can, the saints there can be looked after. Um, and so we can sort of pinpoint the timing there as to when he's doing that. And that lines up with about Acts chapter 20, when at the end of Acts 20, you, you find out that Paul takes that trip. Um, yep. And what he then says in Romans is that after he's taken that trip to um, Jerusalem... What Paul hopes to do is to then um, make his way to Rome with a view to setting up a base there to, so that they can then send him on to Spain. Right. And uh, again, keep reading in Romans chapter 15. Paul's big goal is to preach the gospel where it's never been preached before. And uh, I think there's, there's, there's a verse in chapter 15. I haven't got it to the top of my head uh, exactly what that is. But uh, his goal is to, is to preach on, on new soil. Uh, doesn't want to preach on anyone else's kind of foundation. Right. And uh, what, he, what he says is Spain is kind of like the ultimate place to do that. No one has taken the gospel to Spain yet. And uh, that's, that's what he wants to do. Oh, it's, in, it's in 1520. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And, and he's saying that in the context of saying, I really want to go to Spain. And uh, so his goal is to, to go to Rome, regroup there, gather some support, some people, um, some resources to take with him so that he can then go on to Spain and preach the gospel there. But he's never met the Romans before. And so part of what Romans is, is Paul's introduction of himself and he's laying out of the gospel as he has received it, kind of to, to sort of set them up to receive him as, as a missionary that they will support. Um, okay. It's kind of like one of those, you know, CMS videos that you get, you know, <laughs> introducing you to the mission and you go, yeah, I want to back, want to back that there. work. Yeah. That is awesome. They're doing a good thing. And that, that's what Romans partly yeah, is. Interesting. Introducing himself to the people of Rome so that they can send him on his way um, and, and that's really cool that he's not just interested in sorting out their local issues and it's not just an introspective, you know, mm. sort yourselves out. It, it's actually lifting the eyes of the church to the, the whole purpose of the gospel, which is to go and make disciples of all nations. And he's trying to get them onto the mission kind of uh, sort of train so that they can see, yeah, that's right. The gospel can't just stop with us. It's got to keep going out from us. Um, and, and that's part of what Paul is trying to do in Romans. So Sam, I've heard three really interesting things here. Um, so there's the whole Jew-Gentile question and what does church look like for different people from different backgrounds united under Christ? And yeah. that sounds very relevant for, for me today in a yep. church context. Yep. I've heard that this is Paul, perhaps not saying everything about his theology, but 
mate, he, he's going to kick us hard in lots of wonderful areas in terms of understanding the things of God and the things of the cross and justification. And so that's going to be really, really helpful for that's me it. as well. Yep. Um, and so this is a letter for the Christian to grapple with within the church context. But thirdly, you've also said this is actually a letter that's going to hopefully drive the church out for mission mm. uh, because that's what Paul wanted to, to happen to the original readers. And, and presumably, that's what God will want for us as well. That's exactly right. I mean, as we deal with these realities of heaven and hell and about how people are saved and about the fact that without Christ, nobody is okay, mm. uh, we're all alike under sin, under God's judgment, we need Christ. If that doesn't stir us towards mission, both locally and globally, then we're not hearing Romans right. Nice. Romans deals with these unseen realities of heaven and hell, and it's so easy for us just to miss them and to focus on the, the seen realities of my life, my family, my work, my issues. Romans is saying, no, there's something even more important than those important things, and that is these unseen realities of, of the gospel, um, and that must and should stir us towards mission activity. Awesome, awesome. The Book of Romans. Guys, uh, we've given you this extras edition um, to give you some background and some tools and some understanding so that you can read Romans yourself. And I reckon, Sam, is that the, the best next step, having heard this podcast? 100%. Jump in and start reading. Um, if, if reading all of Romans feels too much, read chapters 1 to 4. That's what we're in this okay. term. We're also hoping to give you some resources to help you read Romans Great. throughout the term, a bit of... Um, stuff to kind of accompany what you might be doing in growth group or what you're doing on Sundays. Um, so look out for that in the weeks to come. And we're also going to try and do another episode of this, trying to explore Romans. Now that we've done a bit of the who, what, when, why stuff, yep. try now to dig into some of the themes and structure of the book. Um, if that'll help you, we, we want to give you as much stuff to get your teeth sunk into this letter as we possibly can. Awesome. Sam, thanks for your work, mate. We're really excited for term three. Can't wait. Um, and guys thank you for listening in and uh, all the best with reading Romans pray dive in um, see what God will do through you indeed see you next time bye